This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This case honestly works me up, so maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. Let's go back. Let's go back and take a look as to who Alexander Blake Van Dalsen was. And I'm going to refer to him as Alex. So this is what happened on my side of things. My friend Courtney from a Nefarious Nightmare podcast. Hey, Courtney. She DM'd me and she asked me to listen to her and her co-host Amanda's case that was coming out about a young trans man. And then she told me his name, Alex Van Dalsen. I immediately thought, Ooh, boy, that name sure sounds familiar. But I couldn't remember why. And then I went and I looked up Alex Van Dalsen. I saw a picture of him. And then I remembered. It sounded familiar because I had him on my list to do as a missing but not forgotten LGBTQ person. 
But then, before I could ever get to cover his case, I read that Alex had died. Suicide, I read, so I moved on. That is, until recently, when Courtney contacted me about Alex. She told me about the case and said, Alex's mom is really hurting. If you could look at this case and please, please consider doing it, I'd sure appreciate it. She really didn't have to convince me that hard. The first thing I did is I went through Alex's Facebook. I wanted to get a better feel for who Alex was. And I have to say, even though there were some sad posts and memes, I didn't see anything that would have led me to believe Alex was suicidal. Most of his sad posts seemed like maybe they were typical posts someone, even me, might have made after a relationship breakup. Alex had some supportive friends, too. And there's one in particular that seemed to see Alex through in his happy times and sad times. His mom told me this was his bestie. Maybe Alex and his bestie saw each other through things. All of Alex's Facebook looked really normal, and nothing drew red flags for me. Alex came out as a lesbian at the age of 14, and that truly seems to be a normal progression for a trans person to take. It's what many will do when they're trying to figure out who they are. And then at the age of 18, Alex began transitioning. When I say someone began their transitioning, I'm referring to their mental state, not necessarily surgeries or hormones. Because let's be honest, safe surgeries are expensive, and they require a lot of, for lack of a better word, they require a lot of work. Surgery candidates are required to go through not just the hormone treatments, but extensive mental evaluations before the procedure's ever done. Because once this process is completed, it's not easy to undo if the candidate changes their mind. Which, believe it or not, has happened. Alex's mom has always been a support for her kids, including Alex when he first came out and then when he told her he was a trans male. In fact, Alex's mom insisted she would help pay for his transitioning if that's what he needed to be happy. Alex refused and told her he wanted to do it all on his own. She said, well, at least take advantage of my medical benefits. And Alex again refused. He was pretty stubborn about it and adamant that this was his thing. He wanted to be the one to take care of it, which is pretty commendable. Alex was born prematurely. He had grown to be 5 feet tall and 90 pounds. He had chronic asthma and he treated it with an inhaler. He had arthritis in his wrists when the weather was cold out, and Alex battled depression along with anxiety, which is not uncommon to anyone these days. And the more I talk to people on a regular basis, they tell me they too struggle with depression and or anxiety. These days it's harder to find people who don't struggle with it. Alex would seek out help for his issues, and he was seeing a therapist regularly. He was also on an antidepressant. Although with his medicine, often it made him feel sick, so he didn't like taking it. And let us not forget, having gender dysphoria can fuck with trans people's emotional stability as well. 
Just a quick recap from my other episodes about gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria has been described by many trans people as feeling uncomfortable in their own skin. Either something physically feels like it's missing or like it doesn't belong. While there's no outright cure for gender dysphoria, hormones and gender-affirming surgery does seem to alleviate many of the symptoms for most. One other thing to add to Alex's anxiety, in April of 2019, he stared death in the eye. He was set up by a friend to be robbed at gunpoint. Alex wasn't physically harmed, but the event definitely took a toll emotionally on him. And Alex was really quick to forgive. It didn't take long for him to forgive his friend. He believed people can change, and he was so trusting that he always gave second chances, even if someone didn't deserve it. Alex had an estranged relationship with his birth father. They rarely spoke, but when they did, the birth father wouldn't accept Alex's truth. He called Alex by his dead name and said he didn't have a son, and then he'd use Alex's dead name and incorrect pronoun to say that she would always be his daughter. He only had daughters. Which makes me so happy that Alex and Alex's two sisters had their mom to be supportive of them. Alex was the kind of person who wore his heart on his sleeve. He would address his depression openly and honestly on Facebook. In August 2020, he wrote, To everyone who's known or seen the happy-go-lucky version of me, I've been going through some things and I don't know how to cope with it. I've been trying every which way to get or be better and I'm sorry to those I've failed. I failed my team at work. I failed my family at home. I'm failing. I've been falling, and I don't know how to get back up to be what everybody needs. I spent some time with my family last night, and I talked to them about what I want to do. But I'm scared. I'm terrified, honestly. I'm 20 years old, and I lost myself completely. I don't know how to get back to being the person I was, and it's felt like I keep falling deeper and deeper into depression. On another post, Alex put a picture of a headstone at a cemetery with his grandfather's name, and then he wrote, I've thought of a million different ways to start this out with my hyperactive brain, but the one that sticks out is that I let depression and anxiety win today. Every time anything goes crazy, I come and I talk to my grandpa. My depression had gotten so bad that I started to come to see him every single day before I crashed my car. Now I'm dealing with the aftermath of that, and I lost focus today at work. I wish I could tell him about how stressful, yet how fun my job is. I wish I could tell him how amazing my coworkers and bosses are. As much as I can be a dickhead, I am beyond thankful for all of them. I try to be happy-go-lucky, Alex, but some days I feel like I'm just a waste of space. My struggle to focus comes into play a lot, but I try to make myself pay better attention and not mess up. I said something funny to a huge kahuna boss today, and it made me smile that I can make someone else smile. That's always my goal, 
even on my bad days. I laugh, I joke, I smile. But sometimes it's hard to not just give up and commit myself to Sycamore Springs. I brought that up to my mom today, and she asked why I felt like that would be a good next move for me. Most days I feel like crying, but I don't. I just push through it. I guess my question of the day is, how do I keep it going when I wish I could just collapse and give up? Yet the answer is, it's worth it to keep going. It's worth trying to work hard and giving people reasons to smile with my crackhead attitude and spunk. I'm 20 years old, still fucking up, and still fighting through each and every day. Thank you to those who've stayed in my life. The understanding I get at work when I forget to take my mood stabilizer and I'm a jackass. I love everyone that stayed through this challenging journey that I'm going through. Thank you guys so much. In October of 2020, Alex did put himself into the Sycamore Springs Mental Health Facility. But he had to talk them into it. They didn't think he was bad enough to keep in their hospital. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows. From the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily, and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, Check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. He admitted he had thought about suicide before and he felt that his individual therapy wasn't effective. Sycamore Springs had a group therapy and he wanted to be a part of that. The point is, Alex cared enough about himself and about the people who loved him to do something about his depression. And if he ever got to a low, low point, he'd reach out to his mom or his best friend that I mentioned earlier for help. Alex was woke, too. After George Floyd was murdered by that cop in May of 2020, Alex and his friends went to a peaceful demonstration. Well, it started out peaceful, and then it got crazy. He pretty much got the hell out when it got nutty. But Alex was also able to capture some cool and very scary pictures of it. He then would post statistics about people shot by the police and what the race of the victims were. He'd also post articles about local protests. Alex, whether knowingly or not, was an advocate for peace and equality. And no matter how shitty Alex might be feeling... 
He was always very gracious to the people around him. And that was one of the things I really loved learning about him. He was real about his emotions. I'm hoping that that allowed you to see a little bit into what I saw in Alex, just from what I peeped on his Facebook page and from a messenger conversation I had with his mom. I know that social media isn't always the best way to learn about who someone was, but Alex seemed like such a cool kid. He seemed to put what he was feeling right out there on the pages. Alex was just trying to figure out his place in this world. Alex went missing from the home he lived in with his family on February 3rd, 2021. The family's home camera shows him walking out the door and down the driveway about 11.45 that night. Alex was wearing sweatpants with jeans over him, a long sleeve shirt, a beanie hat, and a very lightweight black hoodie. Winters in Indiana can get bitter cold, and this night was no exception. It had been snowing, and although the snow had subsided, there was about a foot of snow on the ground already. According to AccuWeather, it was a freezing 18 degrees or colder. And then when you figure in the wind chill factor, the way Alex had been dressed, it was pretty apparent he didn't plan to be out for long. Plus, he hadn't taken his car, he hadn't taken his glasses to see, nor his keys, his phone, or his inhaler for his asthma. I don't know how many of you have asthma, I have seasonal asthma, and in the very, very hot weather and in the very, very cold weather, I get wheezy and I need a blast or two for my inhaler. It opens up my lungs. Alex's asthma was year-round, and as much as he loved to take walks to think, he couldn't go too far without his inhaler. The only people home besides Alex that night was his younger sister and their grandmother, they were both in their beds asleep. Alex's mom and stepfather were at work until they returned home around 2 a.m. With Alex's car in the driveway, they assumed Alex was in bed asleep. The next morning, his mom opened his bedroom door to check in on him. But Alex wasn't there. She wasn't too concerned because sometimes Alex's girlfriend, who lived about a half an hour away, she would come and pick him up and they'd stay at her place. He was with his girlfriend, they figured. But when his girlfriend came over that next evening on February 4th around 7.30 p.m. to see Alex, that was the moment everything changed. Alex's mom was called at work and she drove to several places looking for him before she came home. Friends of Alex's were called. No one knew where he was. At 10 p.m. when Alex's mom got home after looking for him, she called 911, and the dispatcher on the other end said that they would send somebody out to file a missing persons report. At 11.30 p.m., because no one had shown up, Alex's mom called 911 back. The dispatcher again said someone was on their way. A deputy from the sheriff's department finally showed up sometime after midnight. No, please, take your time, officer. It's not your loved one missing. 
It would seem that the sheriff's department had done a wellness check on Alex before. Alex had missed showing up for something, and it turned out to be a false alarm. So I guess that was permission for all sheriff deputies to dawdle when going to Alex's house, and they could get there whenever it was convenient for them. I have a real love-hate relationship with law enforcement. Some are fantastic. They are thorough, and they do their job to the best of their abilities. I'm even proud to call a few of them friends. But since I've been covering true crime for the past three years, I get so disappointed in most law enforcement as a whole. And I can tell you the Indiana law enforcement system is an absolute embarrassment. It looks like their Governor Holcomb is trying to fix it through evaluating the system. But so much needs to be improved immediately. A study I came across for law enforcement in Indiana showed that the county Alex's murder took place in, Tippecanoe, the sheriff department in Tippecanoe County is only given a 50% out of 100% for their effectiveness. Same for the Lafayette Police Department. They also scored a 50%. In any classroom across America, these are near-failing marks. In letter grades, they're D-minuses. Should the percentages slip even 1%, they're Fs. 50% out of 100%, half of where they should be. What does this show us? Well, I'll tell you. It shows us these law enforcers in Indiana are only half-assing their jobs. February 5th, 2021. A retired officer with a canine would come out. See, now that officer is retired, but still came out to try and find Alex. That officer would be given a good mark by me. The dog started at Alex's home, smelled something of Alex's, and took off in the direction the house surveillance camera saw Alex leave. The dog followed Alex's trail for about a mile, and then it just stopped. The dog couldn't pick up any scent of Alex anymore. This makes me believe maybe Alex got into a vehicle? But whose? We just don't know. The retired canine officer reached out to an individual she knew. The individual had a thermal imaging drone, and he did a search for Alex. He reported his findings to law enforcement. When Alex's mom reached out to the man for some information, he told her he was gathering it all, and once he had everything into the police, he'd contact Alex's mom with information or something like that. But then he ended up ghosting her and eventually blocking her without ever talking to her again. And I'm going to tell you, that man wasn't the only one that wouldn't communicate with Alex's mom. It seems like a really good portion of Indiana don't like to deal with mama bears. The sheriff and the police just shut down after a while and they wouldn't answer any more of her questions. I can't imagine being this grieving mother searching for answers as to why her son died just to be brickwalled by the people who were supposed to be helping her. The family continued searching a five-mile radius from their home with nothing. 
Deputies claim they searched, but they called it off early because they weren't dressed properly for the cold weather. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Four days later, on February 9th, 2021 around 1 p.m. A city worker who drove a snowplower was working at the Crosser Sports Complex. He was clearing a more remote area, a trail I guess. It was by a railroad track and down a hill behind the complex. That's when he saw what looked to be two boots sticking up near the road. The snowplower got on his phone and he called police and he waited for them to arrive. Again, it took a while. Police couldn't find the guy with the snowplow at first. And when they finally did, they asked the guy if he touched the body at all. He stated he had not. He said he found the body and he called the police immediately. The body was Alex's. The location was 10 miles from Alex's home. Soon other officers from the Lafayette police showed up. They noticed the body was on its back, legs crossed at the ankles, hands in front on each side near Alex's waist. Lafayette police reports said there was a pink and black camouflage-colored 9mm semi-automatic gun. The gun was laying under Alex's right elbow, frozen to his arm and waist. It was only partially visible because of how Alex's arm was bent. There was bullet entry and exit on the right side and left side of Alex's head. There was a little blood seen on the left side of his head. There was also some blood pooled in Alex's knit cap. But here's something very weird. There was no blood splatter that was noted in any of the reports, nor was it noted in supplemental reports. And with all that snow around, how could you miss seeing blood splatter? What was noted? There were no bullet casings found anywhere around Alex, even with a metal detector used. Nada. I had to research this a little bit as well. The only gun that possibly wouldn't retract a bullet casing is a revolver. The gun found under Alex was a 9mm. This was the gun the police assumed to have been the one Alex used to kill himself. It would have left casings. 
The snowplower guy had mentioned that there were some footprints nearby, but they didn't seem very fresh. They appeared to have been snowed over. An officer put in the report it would be, quote, virtually useless for forensic identification, end quote. So why even try, I guess, huh? Once again, more quality police work from Indiana's finest. While Lafayette police were on this call, they received word from the Tippecanoe Sheriff's Department that the deceased fit the description down to the close of a missing persons report they had on Alex. Of course, the police dead-named and misgendered Alex in their reports. I think only the missing report, and that was from the Sheriff's Department, attempted to be respectful of Alex's identity. They slipped up a couple times in their report calling him a she or a her. But for the most part, they... they tried. After the sheriff gave the missing report to Lafayette police, the police shoved the case right back to the sheriff. Because the sheriff department had the missing persons report, this case must belong to the sheriff. And then the police washed their hands of Alex. After writing their reports and supplemental reports of finding Alex's body, that's when they closed his case. Sheriff immediately decided, ah, this must be a case of suicide. And I believe they based it on Alex's missing persons report. The deputies who went out there to get the report, they looked at Alex's journal entries. They knew that he had a history of depression. The family kept guns, but they kept them under lock and key, and none of them were missing. But the sheriff felt that maybe Alex had a gun. So when the police reported the one found under him, everyone assumed that that was Alex's gun. To this day, we don't know whose fucking gun that is. The police are holding it. They closed the case, but they're still holding the gun. Why? Why haven't they ran any tests on it? Why haven't they tried to find who it's registered to? Where it was purchased? The sheriff wouldn't give Alex's mom any information after he was found. They kept saying they were still investigating and they were waiting for the autopsy. The coroner thought that suicide sounds like a good idea. After all, he didn't see any bruising or marks from a ligature. He saw the bullet wounds and he marked his findings as follows. Entrance wound of the bullet on right side of Alex's head measured 6.5 by 5 centimeters in size. That's quite a large hole. The exit wound on the left side measured 1.5 by 1.0 centimeters. That's a little hole. And here lies the problem with this. The exit wound is always, always larger than the entrance wound. This would mean Alex was shot in the left side of his head where the smaller wound was. But saying that the entrance wound was on the right side instead of the left, this fit the sheriff's narrative because Alex was right-handed. It fit the sheriff's narrative for suicide. Remember, Alex also had bad wrists, and they were much more painful in the cold weather. So stay with me here. 
The coroner also said that the bullet pathway went nearly straight across from side to side. If, if Alex could have withstood the pain from his wrist to hold a gun long enough to pull a trigger and shoot himself, the recoil alone would have given the bullet an upward angle trajectory. And even if his wrists were strong, the recoil would have given an upward angle. But still, the coroner went along with the sheriff, who, mind you, didn't even investigate the scene where Alex was found. See, the thing with most coroners, they will call something whatever the law enforcement wants them to call it. I've seen this in other cases. Getting the autopsy report, seeing Alex's journal entries, learning about Alex's depression, his anxiety, his five-day stint months prior at Sycamore Springs, the sheriff justified it was suicide. I asked Alex's mom if Alex seemed more distraught than usual right before he disappeared. She said no. The days leading up to his disappearance, on the 1st of February, he was over his girlfriend's and he called his mom to come pick him up because his girlfriend had went to work and he was bored. So his mom came and got him and they hung out. They hung out along with Alex's younger sister. Then the three of them ran some errands. And then Alex's older sister came over with her kids. Alex loved to play with the little ones. The next day, Alex volunteered to go grocery shopping for his older sister. That way she didn't have to get the kids all bundled up and out into the snowy weather. He took his younger sister with him and they went and they did the shopping. Then he went and he hung out with his older sister and the kids while his mom was at work. The following day is when Alex disappeared. Alex didn't seem like he was being affected by any depression or anxiety. Everything seemed fine. And usually if Alex was struggling, he would talk to his mom or his best friend and they would help him through. As I said before, Alex knew when he was hitting bottom, and he'd always seek help out for it. Alex wasn't the kind of kid who ran away either. Of course, he was 21 years old. He could go wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted. But he never just disappeared without some kind of contact. If he went out for a walk, it wasn't ever too far or very long because of his asthma. I'm going to go back here for just a minute to the area where Alex's body was found. It would seem that a car was stuck in the snow nearby where Alex was found. Police questioned separately a man and a woman who were associated with the car. Each gave a different story. The woman's story was her and her boyfriend were out and the boyfriend wanted to stop and smoke a joint real quick. And that's when they got the car stuck. The boyfriend's story was his girlfriend got her car stuck and called him. He showed up to help her get it out, but he only got the car more stuck. The police bought the story. Which story? I don't know. But they quickly determined that the car was not involved with Alex's death. After all, the case was no longer theirs. It belonged to the sheriff, which meant they didn't need to collect evidence. They didn't need to impound the car. 
They didn't need to see if there was anything on it or in it related to Alex. They didn't need to do a shotgun residue test on Alex's skin or clothing either, for that matter. Because obviously, this kid wasn't their problem. He belonged to the sheriff's department. They could do it if they wanted it. One police officer did decide to do the sheriff a solid. He bagged up Alex's body and he put it in his truck to transport to the coroner's. Had law enforcement given a damn about this trans boy, they would have looked into who the gun belonged to that was frozen behind Alex. They would have questioned where the blood splatter was. They would have asked, why are there no bullet casings? They would have realized there was no fucking way this tiny kid with asthma and light clothing for the weather could have walked 10 miles from his house to where his body was found, to complete suicide. They would have questioned the coroner on why the bullet entrance wound was bigger than the exit, because anyone who follows true crime cases knows the exit wound is always bigger. In fact, if you go to the Justice for Alexander Blake Van Dalsen page on Facebook, There's a small group of people, they're a search and rescue group, called Muddy Waters. Muddy Waters did a reenactment, and it was pretty cool, because Alex's mom posted this. Muddy Waters did a reenactment of what would have happened if Alex was sitting in the snow like the narrative of the law enforcement. His legs were crossed at the ankle, and he raised a gun with his right hand up to his head, and shot, and how the gun would have landed. Well, it was nowhere near under him. It was off to the side every time they did it. They also tried to do it from the left side, and this just definitely was not possible, especially with the recoil and where the gun would have landed. Muddy Waters also said, they believe that with the size of the exit and entrance wound of the bullet, that this didn't come from a 9mm semi-automatic gun like the one found under Alex. This seemed to have come from a 45. To me, a good cop is like a good reporter. They need to ask who, why, when, where, and how. When they stop asking is when they show they don't care about serving and protecting. This and many other cases, like Alex's, is exactly why the Tippecanoe Sheriff and the Lafayette Police Department are ranked at 50% effective. With this case, I'd rank them way lower. So where does that leave us in Alex's case? Alex's mom has filled out a form that Indiana now allows It's asking the state troopers of Indiana to please take on a case that was denied by the county sheriff or local police. She has a change.org petition in action to try to get Alex's case open for investigation. There's no guarantees, but the petition can't hurt. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.